can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Hello, everyone. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He is an author of approximately 27 or maybe 28 books, depending upon how you count that. And he is a political commentator, a scholar, and an essayist. And this episode, we're going to look into culture. So we do politics and culture, but we're going to talk about a lot of cultural issues at the end of the year and um, some of his favorite movies and um, actors and novels. And we'll get and more and we'll get to that right after these messages. Have you heard of cancer fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, 
Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50, that's code Victor50, at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Welcome back, Victor. Um, so we're, this should be, for me, a lot more interesting because I want to hear about your favorites on all sorts of um, issues and, and um, not issues, but on all sorts of uh, cultural phenomenon. And I, I was hoping we could start with actors because you have talked before about actors that you admire, but I was hoping we could keep it to three and we might go through several cultural topics and, and look at those um, either works or actors that you feel are actors, sorry, either works or, or people that you feel are, excel in those areas and so what who are your top three favorite actors well you, i think my favorite actor is denzel washington because i mean i know that he's been in some bad movies but he was great in glory if you remember him he was that private trip where he was sort of the troublemaker or the person who was trying to voice how hypocritical white America was at the time, but he was, he comes around and he starts to understand the purpose of the regiment and everything. But he, the way he, that he did it, and he was in a lot of, he was in that Pelican brief. So I know that, and he was good, but the two that I really thought, and I know that I mentioned it before, but Man on Fire is, uh, I think it's a classic. I really do. And the scene that he got the most criticism when he's, <laughs> do you remember when the corrupt policeman says, you know who I am? He says, yeah, you're, you remember the Hermit, the brother. Herman Dodd, yeah. Herman Dodd, he mispronounces like I just did. And the guy yeah. is being tortured to death and wants to yeah. correct his pronunciation. <laughs> but he's, and then when he does the, the whole guy, the whole brotherhood's leader, when he says time <laughs> you i have all the time in the world you 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 have 60 seconds or whatever it was yeah you um, had 48 <laughs> seconds i think it was <laughs> the way he played that it was uh it was so authentic and i know a lot of people didn't think the book of eli was but the way he did that as well there's something he gets in a certain type of role even that what it wasn't well reviewed or received the equal, the first equalizer, but there's just something about him when he gets in a particular role about, you know, when he tries to re a, a person will say something and he repeats it. And the person says, and I'm, Oh, you're a member of the, the brotherhood. Oh yes. You. And he just, he, he just jumps in as yeah. a natural person. And, yeah, he's very natural in in all three of those movies. He was in a movie. Seen. I'm trying to. Th it was called uh, Fake uh, Safe House. Do you remember that? Where he's that CIA yeah. people they think has gone rogue. 
yeah. and he's he ends up dying. But yeah. there's something about him, about his natural presence on the screen. Another one is, uh, <laughs> I have to be careful about Gary Oldman because we're all, you know, he was just so brilliant as Churchill. But I was first exposed to, remember that Tarantino wrote the, the uh, screenplay for True Romance? Mm, yes. And, and I don't know what the guy was. It, was he supposed to be black or was he supposed to be a white guy that was acting like he's black, that thug? Remember, I him? think it was the latter. I think he was supposed to be a white guy that was had some weird idea that he was a black guy and he was trying to act like that. But that's that was my interpretation of the character. That that movie was brilliant because of the people that, you know, when they had that Dennis Hopper, they would never allow that when he insults the Sicilian ancestry of Christopher Walken. And, uh, my God, uh, Gary Oldman was one of the most frightening people you can imagine when he's in that scene. And then yeah. he kind of replayed that role on a, in that movie. Remember the professional where he's that crooked DIA agent and he's listening to is it Beethoven when he's killing people and he's on yeah. dr drugs. Just that's one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. it's just eerie how he he comes into he comes into a role and he was the same thing. And speaking of Book of Eli, you remember he's also that sinister, but he has a a, a way about him that makes a sinister character in depth, even more sinister because he's, he's got some elements of his character that's interested in literature or he's interested in music. And even, he even made Dracula into a complex character that we hadn't seen before. Yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula. So I think he's probably right now, I don't know. I don't, that's a hard thing to say. Um, the most accomplished English actor. I really do believe that. Well, he does. You know what, though? He seems to morph into his characters because that Churchill is a completely different character yes, from those does. ones you just mentioned. I would never even know that was Gary Oldman. I mean, physically morph into them as well as, you know, in character. But No, he's just he's just amazing. And I think he said something. Remember, he said something about was it woke or something that they, they went after him? It was what was it? I don't know what it was. I can't even remember. Maybe it was something about race, but they they turned on him. And he so he's not a popular actor in, in the fashion he was. I'm surprised they gave him the Academy Award for Churchill. But the performance was so stunning. Yep. And that getting back to that true romance, you know, I would just it's I have all this. Uh, there are some great character actors that are working today and one of them is christopher walken he was brilliant in that and dennis hopper was a very good character actor almost a major actor so was alan rickman that who passed away not too long ago a very left-wing guy but there were certain roles remember him and quickly down under he was as the evil yes. cattle lord and uh yeah. i guess everybody can't if you say who's your favorite actor there's something about anthony hopkins that i think i mean everybody just deified him but going way back in his career remember he was in um i first i first got i first came to know of him i remember it was not a necessarily a, richard attenborough did a bridge too far yeah. which was a kind of a didn't it was a very lavish production it had some brilliant uh, 
portrayals by Edward Fox, I think. It had a whole bunch of oh, actors yeah. in there. Every one of them, that even the, Robert Redford. That's yeah, what he's not a good actor. Me. Robert Redford's not <laughs> a good actor, but he 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 uh, played that role perfectly. And even Gene Hackman with that kind of phony uh, accent was wonderful. And I know that everybody got to know uh, Hopkins through Silence of the Lambs, you know, series. Yeah. But I, I didn't think that was his. I mean, it was it was uh, brilliant, but I don't think that was the best. And he went way, way back. I remember him in The Elephant Man and uh, Young Winston. And, and Wasn't he in that E.M. Forrester um, novel turned movie, um, the, um, the End of Years or something? I can't remember the name of it. It was The End of... It was basically about the end of the old culture in Britain, and he and the other servant butler. Oh, where uh, they couldn't. Yes, uh, yes, and uh, the and remains of the day. The remains of the day. That's yeah, what it was. Yeah. He was. He was in that. He was in a bad. I mean, it wasn't a great movie, but he did a good job in Legends of the Fall with Brad Pitt. Yeah. Well, he but, was the. But I liked him, and you know what. It was a huge production. It had good soundtrack and it didn't really catch on. But I really liked that kind of um, Meet Joe Black. That was a rerun of Heaven Can Wait, kind of those series of movies. Yeah. And that was a really good movie. Yeah, he was excellent. Yeah, he was. He was he was brilliant in that. And everything he does has got a level of professionalism and. He's that tradition of, I think he's Welch, Welch like Richard Burton. They're all the best, best. I know that as a pro-American, I mentioned two out of three were British. I, uh, anyway, those are actors. Let's move on because I don't. Yeah, let's go on to the novels that you think are the best all-time novels. Yeah. Um, let me think. So I mentioned, I wrote a column not too long ago about a novel that, is attributed to some person called Petronius Arbiter. We don't quite know who he is, except Tacitus has a description of a Petronius, and I think it's the same Petronius, who was a confidant and uh, Arbiter Elegantiae, a taster of elegance, judge of elegance for the Emperor Nero, who had him executed, apparently. But he wrote a novel, and we have, you know, it was 24 books in the epic tradition, but we have the middle part, mostly, I think, 14, 15, 16. Maybe the book was, you know, they closed it and the outer, it was kind of a dirty book in the Middle Ages. So the, it was stored away and the, the top and the bottom rotted. Who knows why those three books? But it is the most brilliant analysis and description of a affluent, leisured Western society and total decay in the Neronian period. And it follows this odyssey of this little bisexual guy called Gaetan, and then this supposedly impotent Encolpius, and then this kind of criminal-minded Asclitos, and they're completely worthless people. And there's this Eumolpus, this, this old poet who's a complete lecher. But the point is they go around the Bay of Naples, Pompeii area, the Herculaneum probably, Croton, down to the south, and they describe what Roman society, food, dress, sex, and Petronius is 
he's it's beautifully written Latin. And uh, I used to teach it in Latin, but it, it's very explicit, obscene. But the point is that he's trying to show you when you have so much money as the, the wealth of the empire and slaves poured into Rome in the first centuries BC and AD, it's inevitable that old traditional agrarian values are completely mocked, destroyed, made fun of. And yet he's not he's not just a cardboard moralist. He's trying to show you the complexities of it, that the sheer bringing together of all these people from Gaul, from Numidia, from Greece, and this turbulent one million person city with all, there are things that happen in it that are quite extraordinary, the level of intelligence. But he's, it's, it's really an attack on the nouveau rich, but the people who are attacking them from the sort of Italian or aristocratic point of view are just as bankrupt as what he's trying to tell you. And it's a, it's one of the most sophisticated analysis of a, of a society in full freefall I've ever read. Just, you know, just the opposite is, and I have a, they'll have to be very careful because he's a very controversial author. Newt Hampson. He won the Nobel Prize right before the war and he was a Norwegian and, uh, he wrote a, you know, he wrote, he was famous for his first book, Hunger and Pan, and I didn't quite like that. They're kind of Kafka-like, stream of consciousness, you know, alternate realities, but it all came together in this novel, Growth of the Soil, and it's about this guy, Isaac, and he reminded me of my Swedish grandfather. I mean, all he did was work, and he goes up to the wilderness and he carves out a farm and a woman, I think he puts an ad, a woman with a hair lip comes and becomes his wife and, and it chronicles his life. And then a neighbor comes named Axel and he's the second part of the novel. And they're very different, but out of their work and he has, he has a guardian angel. I thought this was really interesting that he has somebody that has some degree of power. Geisler, I think his name was, and he, he at each critical moment in the novel, he helps out. He has no reason to help out Isaac, but he does. But it's this idea that no matter what happens, there's always a solution and it's greater work. And as this novel builds, they carve out an entire wilderness area in northern uh, Norway and they create a settlement and it becomes a town and nobody really recognizes. And he carries things on his back. If he hears there's a an iron stove that's been abandoned. He goes out there and puts it on his back and walks all the way back. It's and Hampson. The reason I, it's controversial is because obviously, if you look at that novel and look at the values, what he hated was uh, urbanized, powerful America in the nineteen, the Roaring Twenties, so to speak. And he that hatred of America and that romantic idealization of an earlier agrarian world and i think one of the guys is swedish actually so i've got a um, i've got a little <laughs> you got a bias at, at, yes <laughs> but anyway my point is that he became a megaphone for nazism to the degree that he wasn't just kind of a misanthrope he was not a very nice guy is what i'm trying to say and after the war they put him on trial and i think he was finally acquitted or given a light sentence, but he died in the early 50s. But of all those novels that he wrote, they were kind of the the modern novel about what's inside a man's brain, psychological novel. 
Yeah. It was brilliant. I'm sorry. What was he put on trial for after the war? Was uh, well, he a he Nazi? Is that the, why he's controversial? Yeah. He, he went to Berlin when Hitler wanted to meet him because Hitler looked at that novel and thought that it had German work values, you know, industriousness. And he wanted to, they tried to appropriate him as a spokesman for Nazism. And then during the Quisling government in Norway, and that was a very difficult time. Remember, the British had to evacuate and all that fighting. Well, during that whole period and of the occupation, he was he was very sympathetic to and was a beneficiary of special treatment by the puppet government in Norway. So when that government fell during the liberation, he was on the wrong side. And I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of literature why he did that. And what what was it about him? But he had a pathological hatred of the English-speaking world for some reason. And in in that book, a sign of decadence is when a Norwegian or a Scandinavian migrates to America. I don't know what it's something about the existential struggle in that cold, hard, stony climate landscape and what it does to people and makes them you know, the man against nature, but it's a brilliant novel. It's one of the best novels I think it was ever written. And then we can't go on too much, but everybody likes the, I guess there's six great novels besides all the short stories like, you know, of, uh, Conrad, but that one book, uh, victory is, is just, it's a, uh, kind of an auto, they're all autobiographical, but this person who is ostracized, and travels all over the world, and he finally becomes content with his separation from the world. And then he sees there's this young, innocent woman, and he's not that he's capable of affection, but he has this relationship sort of with her. And then these people come. There's always evil people, as you remember in Lord Jim, that come up the river or Nostromo, and they try to, and he finally makes it a choice to re-enter the world for somebody else's safety. And it's, it's, it's sort of uh, a description of what the 19th century European world was becoming and why a person couldn't fit in that and what are the wages when you don't fit in that. And that, and it's almost a suggestion you have to get back into the game. It's kind of a Homeric idea that you can't be Achilles and nurse your wounds against the unfairness of the system, even though it's warped you. And you, like Achilles after the death of Patroclus, you've got to go back in there because you're going to have to save the Achaeans because they're going to lose to Hector. And so it's, even though you're corrupted in the process, it's a great novel. It really is. Yeah. I'll stop there since we seem okay. to be doing threes. <laughs> okay. Um, that, let's go ahead and take a break and come right back and talk about musicians. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Okay, it's time to commit. 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're back, and I would like to remind everybody that Victor can be found at victorhanson.com, and you can um, join us with a subscription, either a free one to just get a newsletter and the new things that are on the website, or you can um, subscribe so you can read the VDH Ultra material that is written exclusively for the website and some great articles uh, that come out with really rich analysis of our political culture and our culture in general, and sometimes farm life as well. So please come join us. Victor, we were on to threes here, and I would like to talk with you about your top or the best pop music um, stars that you appreciate their work. Well, you know, I, I kind of grew up listening to Van Morrison, and he was kind of a, a mix of English sort of an English-Irish-Ballad-Balladeer, and then he was heavily influenced by soul music and Black America and the blues, and he got some of those songs. Uh, Tupelo Honey was just amazing. And that, that appearance he did, I think it was in the last waltz, uh, the way he performed Brown-Eyed Girl and all of those songs, the, he was just, he has a beautiful voice. He's a wonderful entertainer. He brings all these different music traditions into one, to one symphony, so to speak. And he's still at it. He, I, I can remember listening to him on AM radio in the sixties and he's still at it. And so I, I have nothing, but I, I think he's one of the best pop singers that ever existed. Another one is, um, and I think everybody knows that Ray Orbison. He had kind of a tragic life because he died before. I mean, he had, he, we all grew up in high school and grammar school with Pretty Woman and it was, he was, you know, on the charts and everything. And he was, he was right up there with the big 60s popular bands. But I think what people forget is that, uh, my God, he, he endured and he endured and he endured. And, um, uh, he had kind of a renewal in the 90s. And then, you know, when he had that that one book, song, You Got It, Anything You Want, You Got It, and Love Hurts, Crying, Falling, all those, Blue Bayou, they all had the same thing for someone who's kind of a shy person. He had, he wore those sunglasses. He was pale, white, kind of pasty. But they all have unrequited love. You know what I mean? That's sort of like a sonnet or something or out of that period of English poetry because he's always, you know, silently suffering because this woman has, he's done everything where he wants to do everything for a woman. And you don't usually hear that from a male singer, but he, he the, and he, he died right when his, during his Renaissance, it was kind of tragic. So I've always liked him. I should say yeah. that 
um, I mentioned black singers. I think the greatest black singer of all time uh, was Otis Redding. My gosh. And he died so young and in a car and a plane crash. But, you know, I can't turn you loose. And I've been loving you so long. Try a little tenderness sitting on the dock of the bay. My girl, all of those songs were wonderful. He had a beautiful voice and I, I, he should still be singing if, if he hadn't been killed. Finally, I, I, I don't, I never liked him. And I like him even less now as Bruce Springsteen, because I think he really overdid that working class New Jersey thing. And he's now a billionaire and he got involved in all these political things. But when you look, listen to those, that album, you know, the rising after 9-11, those songs he wrote almost spontaneously, they're wonderful songs. And then that Nebraska album. And those were the two albums I thought were just sheer genius. And it's hard for me to say, and that's another issue that all of our listeners deal with, with actors and singers that we on the conservative or traditional side, for the most part, and entertainment being on the liberal side, we have to be very careful because ours got artists, you know, it's art for the sake of art. And you have to suppress your personal feelings or political or ideological leanings when you see an artist that has antithetical views to your own, but they have real genius. And that's hard for me. But I, you know what I, I liked that I he like did? He, he did that um, uh, album with the, uh, the Seeger Sessions band where they did all those old folk tales. And yeah, they had like John songs. Henry. Yeah, the, yeah. All the old, yeah, he did. He did. John, he did. He had... American folk songs from the 19th and early 20th century. He did them wonderfully. Yeah, they were he, wonderful. He's got he that raspy voice. He, he has a, a raspy voice. I can't, I mean, I may be cheating by going on three, but I've always liked Bob Dylan. I've always liked him. And, you know, I did not like his politics. I do. <laughs> I don't think he has liberal politics anymore. I don't know what they are, but... He's a pretty, he's become in his old age, very sensible. But if you look at all of those songs, um, you know, from blowing in the wind to knocking on it, no one wrote more songs that were more successful and, and more pleasant to listen to than Bob Dylan. I'm not talking about his voice, but, and that just to end this conversation, that gets into Joan Baez. Everybody hated Joan Baez. I know that, but, uh, I think of all the great female singers that came out of the 60s, Joni Mitchell or Judy Collins or the rest of them. There was no one. I can't think of anybody who had a better voice. You know, that one song and they were that one album when she redid all of I think she made Bob Dylan. We talked about that before, made him famous. But that one song, One Too Many Mornings, when you listen to her do it versus Bob Dylan or um Restless farewell. One, you know, I pity that I, I wrote a column and I had a, a little quote from "I pity the poor immigrant." Yeah, that song would be completely outlawed today. And she even did things like "You You Ain't Going Nowhere" and that I don't know, "Placer D'Amour," that medieval song, "Pleasure of of Love." You know, yeah. that's a beautiful song that she did. And so she's just got a wonderful voice, and she. And uh, so you have to appreciate that. And 
I, I really do. So those were people I grew up with, and I, I'm not acquainted with the latest songs, although I've been trying to listen to <laughs> uh, some strange... Uh, you know this guy, Nick Cave? and he, What was the name? He did the soundtrack. Uh, that was a very funny song for that one with um, about Australia. Do you remember that? that yeah, soundtrack? and that guy is fighting with his brothers or something, and... And I, I remember the movie. <laughs> like, I don't know what the name of it was, but I just remember it. Uh, yeah, he, he's that was a that was a really great song, and uh, it reminded me of that. It was kind of a one. Well, yeah, he's very famous. He's got a whole repertoire of good music, but that writer song, I guess that's what it was. You know? Yeah, that's what it was about called. The, an- the whole nature is answering back, the wind and the earth. All yeah. That. But there was that one song. Um, I don't know if you and I talked about that one song phenomenon. I think we did a long time ago. The Four Non-Blondes with that revolution song was kind of funny, but it has a good tune. But also was that soundtrack to uh, the, hold on, um, you know, the Turkish movie about Gallipoli and he goes. The, oh, the water like, diviner. Yeah, yeah, the water diviner. That was Christopher Fogelmark. Love was my alibi. Mm. Yeah, that's a, a great song. That was a I love that. Swedish, Swedish guy, I think he is. And I didn't even, I mean, that wasn't his original language. So anyway, so, those are some. Some of the things that you yeah. like. Yeah. So let's turn then to um, websites that you would recommend. Websites. Yes. I'm prejudice here because I know a lot of people that have websites. Oh, yeah. So I've mentioned this before. Uh, John Henniker and Steve Hayward and Scott Johnson. If you look at Powerline, they have, you know, they aggregate uh, columns of the day, but then they discuss in depth some of them or some things in their own experience. And they just give a uh, a level of sophisticated but accessible analysis. They draw on their own specialties. Steve Hayward is an expert on the history of the conservative movement and great quotes. John Henrikers runs a foundation. He's got the most common sense of I, I, you can imagine in a person. So if you want somebody to give a common sense take on it and then Scott Johnson is wonderful. He's their lawyers. He and John and and he uh, he he's got also a really great repertoire of music, blues music, folk music that he brings into that website. But when I, I guess what I'm saying is, if I want to know, get some idea of the absurdity of the left in a very dispassionate fashion, and then you go to Powerline. I recommend everybody does it. I'm very fond of real clear politics. Um, I know John McIntyre, one of the co-owners of it, but uh, it, it's kind of an interesting website. I mean, I know now there's real clear education, real clear defense, real clear world, everything. They're huge topics, but I guess the flagship is real clear politics. And as everybody knows, they're, formula is one article from the left, one from the right, and then I guess they must have some type of computer uh, tabulation, and then the most frequent in the last week, the most frequent that day, they, they highlight those, they have polls, it's just an all-service stop, and it's not, I think probably they're more conservative 
they're on the conservative side, but you wouldn't detect that when you go there. So it's, it's, those are the two that I try to go to first. I try to, but I, you know, I go to left wing sites too. And, uh, and the other one, I, I, I posted American Greatness and, uh, my colleague Roger Kimball writes, I don't know how he does it. He writes five or six a week. They're, they're very, very good. And he draws on a whole lifetime of literary and artistic criticism. So he's got all of these. It's not, he's not name dropping. When you see him quote authors and pieces of work, he's just bringing it out of his head because those are his frame of references as he gets into his, you know, mid sixties, late sixties. He's got this whole wealth of experience. And that's fascinating. So I always try to read there. And, you know, I, Conrad Black is not um, writing for American Greatness or National Review, but he he has the, what I would call the Asiatic style. And remember in classical rhetoric, you did, the, there was Attic simplicity as exemplified by, say, the orator Lysias. And then there was Isocrates, or Gorgias, um, Gorgias, the Asiatic, that was the elaborate, ornate style. And what would that mean? And as far as grammar, that would mean complex sentences, independent and dependent clauses, para, uh, a vocabulary deliberately, not to show off, but to be more precise. And it would be more Latinate than Anglo-Saxon English. And some, I guess when you would read 1,500 words, there'd be one or two words that rarely appear and the printed or spoken English language anymore. So it's just a kind of a, a delightful experience to read him. Even. And uh, so I, I try to read American Greatness, Real Clear Politics, uh, Powerline. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just off topic a little bit. When I was thinking of these, it's very strange about how the – and I think Jack and I talked about this once. So I don't want to be repetitive, but some of the old go-to places for conservative affirmation are gone now. They've disappeared. And one of them was a Drudge Report. Nobody quite knows why he went from being conservative news aggregator to far left. I don't know what happened, but that thing is propagandistic now. It's so hard left. And... Of course, the Weekly Standard had good writers, and it disappeared. I think one of the most talented writers in America is Christopher Caldwell. He, used to, he writes for the Claremont Review, but he was a absolutely brilliant, one of the most insightful writers on Europe there, there ever was. And, yeah. and he, he was the bull. I think he was really the anchor of the Weekly Standard in some ways that's disappeared or it's gone to the uh, like bulwark or whatever that's called. And then... If you Rush want Lim culture, if I Rush could just... Rush yeah, Limbaugh's go gone. Rush is gone. We forget that, that three hours every day. And mm -hmm. Rush was an entertainer, a news commentator, but he had a brilliant insight into the leftist mind. And he'd, I, just, I used to be driving to work and I'd always listen. And he'd say, now stay with me. You got to remember what these guys are doing now. Don't let... He would analyze, you know, to the nth level what the left was doing it was pretty funny yeah he was a very good guy there's also if um people are i'm pretty sure you must read this because you know the editor so well roger kimball but every time i want to read about 
some cultural issue. His um, new criterion is very frank about books and the the evaluations, you know, um, the analysis of new books out there and what's in them. And well, I didn't mention that because I had a vested interest. Okay, so I didn't but... want to blow my own horn, but I was a writer in residence last year. And so that meant the writer in residence was to produce 30,000 words. So I wrote, I think, six, 5,000, 4,000 word essays, one on three great classicists, one on the destruction of classics, one on Roman society. And I did mention the satiricon there, one on Black Lives Matter. Uh, and then one on <laughs> the striking similarities between the left and the old Confederate mentality, whether it was sanctu sanctuary cities or federal nullification or fixations on one drop racial pedigrees. And I just have one in this issue, and that's the last of that tenure. It's on um, I ju it just came out. It's on why study military history, which is, uh, you know, it's an old topic. It's been done, but I tried to have some new contours to it in the age of woke. And then I signed on. Roger asked me to do it this year. So I'm working right now as we speak on the first of the second year writers and residence requirement. And the first essay is going to be on and we've talked about this. It came out of the, these podcasts. And that is this this weird triangle in Silicon Valley that I think has destroyed California and it's about ready to consume America. And on one of it is an academic academia that gives the prestige or the veneer or the sense that these people are above politics or they're scientific or they're analytical when they're not. And it's embodied in a geographical sense. This triangle is in the Bay area. So that's Stanford university. And whether it's some kind of voter true the vote project, the Stanford voting project, or it's drawing on Stanford affiliated faculty or fellows for Elizabeth Holmes, the Stanford dropout, Theranos Ponzi scheme, or whether it's a self-righteous commentary of the Bankman Freed law professor, mother of Sam Bankman Freed, and he's back on the Stanford campus now, apparently on his, I guess, on the conditions of his release from custody for a while. And they were very vocal. And of course, she was a bundler of Silicon Valley millions. And of course, I think they're going to have a tax problem when they try to explain how much property is under their name and what... Mr. Bankman Freed is a tax expert and whether he paid sufficient gift taxes or however that worked, I'm sure he found a way to evade them. And then in that whole matrix, we had the Stanford vocabulary list. Did you see that, Sammy? It just came out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, and that was IT, as Jack pointed out. It was not just the humanities center on campus. This was informational technology. These were supposedly quote unquote scientist in computer studies and things like that, but you can't use American, can't use citizen. It's just silly. Immigrant. Yeah. They yanked it. They were so embarrassed. And then there was the Ben Shapiro visit where they plastered the campus with this picture of a raid insect bottle, you know, Ben be gone and, you know, playing on the Nazi gas, the Jew, get him out motif okay. on campus and the very liberal 
administration did nothing until there was an outrage. And then we have the Stanford professor who's under assault right now, assault in the sense that the left is investigating him about prior publications that may or may not have been doctored by him. I think they were mostly computer-generated illustrations that reflected the argument of the article, but maybe they didn't reflect the actual article but went too far in trying to make a point. It, it's resurfaced. Obviously, he's a white male right now, and so in the period of woke when we we're trying to make every college president an identity politics profile, maybe that's one of the catalysts behind it. But you put it all together, and... You've got real problems. I'm not even going to get into selling admissions by coaches and business schools. Mm -hmm. It's just a mess. Yeah, but it, it sure does is. give it, it. Yeah, it's a mess from A to Z and they know it. And they've taken a wonderful university. I'm the fifth person in my family to go there. So I had some ostensible loyalty to it. But they've taken a once great university and they've ruined it. And the class of 2026 has just been announced 23% white. 52%, 51, 52% women. There's only 15% white male. And I don't understand it because they're apologizing for their Jewish exclusionary policies of the past. Well, they're, they're trumping that. They just don't want, they want Asians not to be there in any greater numbers than their demographic proportions, but they don't want any white males there at all. They really don't. When you're getting down to 12 or 13 percent, they're 35 percent of the country. So it, and then that's that leg. And then the other leg is the corrupt Bay Area politics that runs the state. Think about it. Nancy Pelosi, Paul Pelosi made a fortune on inside trader and government projects and real estate acquisitions that her that his wife was right at the beginning. And then we have Diane Feinstein with a Chinese spy. And, and then we've got. Gavin Newsom, no, nothing more to be said, or Kamala Harris. Look at all those politicians out there. Barbara Boxer, the Chinese age, uh, registered lobbyist. And then we go to Silicon Valley and what Elon Musk, we see it's basically a subsidiary for the FBI, that it's the investigatory arm of the FBI to suppress free speech and get around the First Amendment. And whether it's Google arranging the, your Internet searches on ideological criteria or whether it's Facebook using its profits to warp the election by absorbing the work of state registrars or whether it's Twitter suppressing free speech at the beck and call of the FBI. It's a pretty corrupt world. And it's got $7 trillion to make that corruption pretty powerful. You put all three together and you get the big money and the communications in the media. You get the hardcore left-wing politics, and you plaster it all over with nice, respectable academic prestige, and you get a very toxic mix. Mm. Sounds like a satiricon to me. Mm. That would be unfair to the Roman elite, I think. <laughs> because And they are, I mean, so I'm, I'm writing that right now. I think it'll be in, I hope in the March issue, but I'm very proud. I mean, I'm very honored to be asked to come back and yeah. I'm trying to do that. I just have a, my last book of this uh, contract is late. It's the end of everything and about how societies disappear during war, some wars. So I got to yeah. get that done. 
Well, I just wanted to put in a plug for the new criterion because I do think not just for whatever reason, but because I really do think that they do great analysis. Got a great staff. The culture out there. Yeah. I don't know how Roger Kimball does it. I do not know how he does it. He's the editor in chief and publisher of Encounter Books, which has just skyrocketed. We at the Bradley uh, Foundation help help it, but. Help is is not the right word. We support it, but my gosh, it's selling a record number of books. It's become the go-to place now for conservative authors that have been blackballed or ostracized or unfairly treated by the main New York woke publishers. And I don't mean woke ops. I'm talking about, you know, Doubleday, Alfred Knopf, Simon & Schuster, Random House. And so, and then he's writing for what, four or five columns a week for different venues, American Spectator, American Greatness, you name it. He's you know, Epic Times. He's all over there. And then he's the, as you say, the editor-in-chief publisher of the new Criterion. Okay. Yep. Okay, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break, and then we'll come right back and we'll talk. I'll give you a choice since this is our New Year's um, episode. Yep. And we have, I will go either admirable politicians or non-Western movies that you thought were really good. But give uh, us a little bit, okay. of, we'll give a little bit of time to um, these important messages. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We're back. Uh, Victor, let, which one, which which is your choice? Do you want to talk about politicians or non-Western movies that you like? I'm a glutton. Famous politicians, you said? Well, the ones that you think are this, you know, are are great politicians in our current time, I think. Well, I'll do it very quickly because we don't have much time. Tom Cotton, I admire. I might disagree with him a little bit on foreign policy, but boy, he takes these issues and he's dead to rights. He's fearless. He's our expert on the Pentagon. He's worried about what's happened to the military. He's effective. He's he's just a wonderful senator. And as I said earlier, I had my differences with Rand Paul early on. But my gosh, when his dissection of Anthony Fauci was brilliant and he's done a lot of good on matters fiscal and he's a financial conservative, um, budget conservative. And he's a free I know he's a libertarian, but he's a 
And I think he's just evolved in a way that that is is quite stunning. He's uh, he's doing a lot of good. So I, I yeah. really admire him. And of course, I'm prejudiced because I'm a neighbor and I've known him for years, Devin News, uh, Nunes. But you take away Devin Nunes out of the equation, there would be no uh, Russian collusion investigation or we wouldn't really know about it. it would still be operating when he found out what was going on and he had that press conference the whole weight of the media the political world the cultural landscape they all went after him they tried to physically i mean literally destroy him and even his own party when paul ryan had that ethics phony ethics investigation and when he had that majority report Remember about the whole Russian collusion and then Schiff gave that duplicitous and inexact and, and, uh, error ridden minority report. And yet the New York Times and Washington Post and all of the networks praised this prevaricator Schiff. And when I drove up, I would drive down the freeway. And I think I said that to Jack, you see those, um, those posters, anti Nunes with him with Putin, or I'd go in San Francisco and I'd see in windows, donate to and get rid of Nunez and people were raising money, $10 million plus to go after him. So, and he, he kept going. My only criticism of him is we need him right now. Um, it's not a criticism, but my gosh, put Devin Nunez at the head of ways and means, or if he could find a consensus, if he was, if Kevin McCarthy said, I need another vote or something, Nunes would be the person to find it. So he he was a very gifted, courageous politician. As far as foreign movies, I talked about it before. My favorite is Das Boot. I read the novel. You know, it was there was a novel written by um, a guy in 1973, Das Boot, who you remember you saw Das Boot, right, Sammy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I love that you, movie. You, you remember the blonde Nazi uh-huh. guy who was supposed to write puff pieces about the U-boat crew? Yeah. And they and he lives and survives, remember, but you kind of detest him. He's he, but then he ends up to be anti-war as, after he sees how wonderful these guys are and what a bad cause they're fighting for and that they're all anti-Hitler, supposedly. Well, that, that was based on a real person who was a Nazi megaphone uh, journalist. And he did go on a U-boat. And I was in college when he wrote Das Boot and it was. It was a bestseller. It's a wonderful movie. Jurgen Proctow. Is that how you pronounce it? I think it's Jurgen. Jurgen. Yeah. Yeah. He's a wonderful actor. But he was in Dune, the first version of Dune. Something about his face that's kind of pockmarked and the the way he has a tragic look about him. But that portrayal of the captain was brilliant. Uh, Whether we very quickly to finish, Australian directors are just. Wonderful. I mean, Bruce Beresford and and others, but uh, I think he did uh, Breaker Morant, and that I know that was propaganda. It's about this special unit during the Boer War that uh, they lose a, a beloved uh, captain, and he's apparently mut- mutilated. And they don't know quite who does it, but they think the the Boers do it, and he kind of goes on a rampage, but. He has executed two or three um, in a bore, and I think maybe three or four people. And uh, Kitchener, this is the this is well before World War One, and uh, 
and after the great Mahdi expedition, but he he decides that he has to draw the line and have them executed. So it's kind of a fake trial. I think Jack Thompson's the lawyer. He was a brilliant lawyer and uh, a brilliant actor in, in the role. And they try to deliberately make sure he gets a bad lo- lawyer with no experience, but he's got intellect and brilliance on his side. And he just absolutely shreds the British Army's uh, prosecution. And yet, and they even at, during the trial, there's an attack on the Boers and these guys in jail save everybody and it still doesn't save them. And Breaker Morant, you know, is he's kind of an older person in his mid 50s and uh, he's getting old. He's a poet and he's more or less says he he's at the point where the things that made him famous or legendary as a, a cavalry officer or a breaker of wild horses, he can't do anymore to the same extent. So he's not going to really fight it, even though he's very principled. That's the movie version. And I think it's based on a book of the third person that was in the movie, the young kid that they try to execute, but they they give him a amnesty. He wrote a book later, and I read that book called Scapegoats of the Empire. And it, it was about, they never they never had the trial that was lost. All the transcript was mysteriously destroyed or lost. But this guy wrote uh, how unfair it was, and then it became a cause celeb because Australia very quickly after became independent. At least it was a commonwealth that not, you know, when the Boer War took place, if I'm not mistaken, if you were a British subject, whether you lived in Australia or not, the same, it was almost a unity. And so once Mm -hmm. Australia became a commonwealth and sovereign, then they really used this uh, trial. They were the only people really in the modern period that had been executed uh, for reasons other than desertion or something, for atrocities. The problem with me is that it was a brilliant movie. It's one of my favorite movies. It's a foreign film, as you said, but I don't think it, I read Scapegoats of the Empire, but the more you read about it, I think they were guilty, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that funny. I'm not sure that the captain was mutilated by the Boers, I'm not sure that the minister they executed or the other, I think there was a German they executed, were necessarily, uh, you know, traitors or informants. I'm not sure they needed to execute prisoners. So you get the impression. And then Raker Morant was kind of a ladies' man. Of course, he's that way in, in the movie. But he, he claimed he was, a, as I remember, he claimed that he was the long-lost son of a famous Admiral Morant. He had perfect grammar and diction, but he was kind of a fraud. But doesn't mean he wasn't a great officer. But anyway, the Australian f- movie is sort of, in that sense, propaganda from the Australian point of view. But it's an absolutely brilliant movie, and and uh, it's um, I don't know. It's one of the I'm trying to remember the actor's name Woodward uh, that played Breaker Morant, and he he had his own. He had his own, uh, he was in The Wicker Man, and it was a, he's a brilliant actor. He died, sadly, I think in his 70s from a heart attack. He was a heavy smoker. And he actually had a TV series for a year or two, or maybe longer. But anyway, he was a great actor. It was brilliantly directed, brilliantly filmed. It, it's a great movie. And what about your American non-Western? Non-Western? 
Yeah. Why are you saying non-Western? Because we've talked often, or you've talked a <laughs> lot I'll, about. I know why you're shame. saying it. Yeah. Because because the listener right now, oh no, he's going to say Shane. <laughs> Shane. He's going to say Searchers, <laughs> High Noon, yeah. Wild Bunch, Man of Shot, Liberty. Yeah, about exactly. Heard it, been there. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, there is a movie. Uh, that I like a, a lot of people like it. It was based on an actual incident with these bank robbers in LA. You remember that they had a body armor on and they made heat. And so Michael Mann did heat yeah. and uh, that had, that's a very long movie. And I'm not a big fan of Robert De Niro, but he was great in that movie. Al Pacino was over the top. He, you know, he, he went from Michael Corleone, very understated and then kind of wild and flamboyant at times. But, He's uh, he's he is interesting in that role. And then, God, they had the woman who what's her name that that she's oh, Ashley Judd. Yeah, Ashley Judd, who said, you know, I'm a dangerous woman. <laughs> the day Trump got nominated, remember? I mean, inaugurated. <laughs> That's she, right. She she had all of that, and uh, it, it's they have, he has a very, you know, he did it with Miami Vice and Collateral with Tom Cruise, Assassin. Yeah. He has, he, Michael, he has a very, uh, and he did that Thief, that first movie was, and he has an ability to blend music uh, and then, and uh, action. They're, they're quite, it's almost surrealistic. It, it's really effective. That last scene in that movie when they're shooting and then Robert De Niro did not, dies and, and he has that kind of strobe lights effect from LAX and they have the music. It's really well done. I yeah. like that movie. It's I, I watch it all the time. I'm afraid, you know, if and the other favorite movie is, and I've talked about that as a the best years of our lives. I really like Dana Andrews along with Joel McRae. I think they were two of our best um, truly American actors, you know? Yeah. That yeah. was a great movie. Yeah. Well, he, Robert De Niro plays an interesting part, you know, after you get tired of his Cape Fear, you know, kind of act. <laughs> the problem with Robert De Niro is he's kind of like Jack Nicholson. And that is his best performances you get are when he's not acting He's playing himself and <laughs> Cape Fear. I think that's the Robert De Niro. That's Robert and, De Niro. <laughs> yes. And that's uh, that's the problem with him when he when he's very brilliantly, when he pro plays a part brilliantly and he does and he he's absolutely ruthless. And this is a guy who said he wanted to what beat hit Donald Trump in the mouth. And they asked him, he just said F Trump and yeah. just got carried away and. Yeah, he has an uninteresting politics, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's what's scary about certain actors that are that when they play a particular role, they're brilliant in that particular role. But that's because they're not acting. And he's one of those people. Yeah. And uh, and that's what's somebody like Anthony Hopkins can play any role. Gary Oldman can play any role. Denzel Washington can play any role. But. Certain people maybe play that role better than anybody else could possibly because they're not they're not acting. They're just themselves. And <laughs> that's what's frightening about it. 
Well, thank you, Victor. This will end our year, 2022. It's been a great, great year for your podcasts. And, you know, everything that we talk about, you always say something different and something new. I'm always astounded by the breadth and depth of, of your conversation in these podcasts. So I, I, I thank you. I thank the audience for always coming to us to hear usually the latest news or things on culture. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Yeah, I did. I, I think next time in the new year, we'll talk once on agriculture, farming and water. How's that? But in a, a way that's not just dry. Yeah, I think that'll, yeah. Be good. that'll be good. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And I'm sure that we're all going to think that 2023 will be better than 2022. Something about 2022, the border, the election is just glad it's gone. Yeah, we'll look forward to 2023. Everybody have a good time tonight. And we'll see you in 2023. All right. This is Victor Davis Hansen and Sammy Wink, and we're signing off. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.